title of the sermon this morning is The God Who Sees Me, as you, as you can see by the awesome graphic that Brad put together. Honestly, I don't know how he does it every week. He's just got a talent that God gave him, uh, and the gift of sarcasm as well, so. <laughs> I don't know, is that a gift? Um, we're going to talk about the God who sees me today, and in Hebrew, that's uh, Elroy or Elroy, depending upon how you'd like to pronounce that. I like Elroy better because it sounds southern. Um, the God who sees me. What do you think? You think God sees you? I think there's a guy up there that, that sees you. And I don't mean, you know, the, the guy with the hammer waiting to whack you when you do something wrong. I mean, I mean a God that, that sees you. My dad was raised in a Catholic church. My mother is what I'm going to call old order Prussian Protestant. Um, so I know all about the God that smites you. Uh, I learned a lot about that as a kid. That's probably why I didn't get saved till I was like 30-something. Um, I'm not talking about that God, but, but the one who sees you in your daily life, in your daily struggles. But how does it feel sometimes? Does it feel like he's not there? Does it feel like that's not true? Does it feel like one of the uh, lines from uh, Rich Mullen's song that goes, maybe you're just playing hard to get? Brad, put up that first scripture, would you please? Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? Can you get a concept of that God hiding while you're in trouble? Have you ever had the feeling that God is hiding from you? That you just don't matter. That the heavens are like brass when you pray. Where'd that come from? Have you read that in the Bible? The heavens are like brass. It feels like your prayers don't get above the ceiling. How about this scripture, Psalm 69? Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water, and the floods overwhelm me. Wow. That uh, describes those folks in Kentucky right now, doesn't it? We need to pray for them. Last line says, my eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. I felt like that occasionally. Remember when COVID first really hit? Did you feel like you were sinking? Uh, now, David wrote most of these psalms during hard times when he was hiding out from Saul or when his own sin had overtaken him. I like to read about David because I think most of us can relate to him. Sometimes he's the man after God's own heart. And sometimes you sit there and wonder, what is he thinking? You know, how did he do how did he do that? Why is he being so stupid? How about this uh, scripture from the New Testament, from John 11? When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that was regarding her brother Lazarus's death. Have you been there? God, if only... If only you had been here, if only you had answered my prayer, where were you when I needed you? 
like many of you recently, I've been asking God where He is. Do you remember the words from the song, this song? It says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Great song. Sometimes you just kind of hang your head, raise your hands, and wonder if faith sometimes looks like singing through the sadness, like coming empty but showing up anyway. You know, you walk through those doors and you just feel like, man, I don't want to be here today. I want to be anywhere but here. I want to be home taking a nap because that's how I feel. You show up anyway, though. And we talked about worship and praise in Sunday school this morning. God isn't the one who benefits. We are. God is worthy of it. We need it. Now, although there have been a lot of lessons learned along the way, this summer has felt much more like the wilderness than the promised land, at least for me, and I know for a lot of you out there. Uh, I'm left with more questions than answered, and my hands hold more unknown than things I'm certain of. But somewhere in that desert, somewhere in between what once was and what will be, there are answers. So let's get started this morning. Tell you a little story about a girl named Hagar. Now, Hagar wasn't an important person. She wasn't wealthy. She wasn't full of faith. In fact, her only claim to fame was that she ended up in the middle of a big, ugly, complicated mess. Hagar's story is not a pretty one. She was an Egyptian woman, probably one of the maidservants who were given to the, by the king of Egypt to Abram at that unhappy time in Genesis 12 when Abram's faith failed him. And he went down into Egypt and he requested Sarah to conceal the fact that she was his wife. Remember that? Gee, honey, you're, you're pretty and they're going to want you, so... You know, they're going to kill me to get to you, so pretend that we're not married. <laughs> a man of faith. So Hagar became the maid, the special maid of Sarah. Now, what was God's promise to Abram? Or Abram? You'll be the father of nations, right? But that blessing didn't appear likely to come to him, for there were no children born to Sarah, nor did there seem to be the possibility of any. Husband and wife were both old and well-stricken in years, and no special mention had been made of Sarah in the promises that then stood. Now, that, that, when, I, when I thought about that, that bothered me, so I went back into the Scripture, and, and it, it's right. Sarah wasn't mentioned until later. Um, therefore, it wasn't clear to Abram, but what some other might be the mother of the expected seed, and when in her unbelief Sarah proposed that her maid should become his secondary wife, Abram listened to her. Always listen to your wife, right, Tyler? Good man. According to the custom of the times, there was nothing wrong with Sarah's proposal, but it showed the littleness of Abraham's faith. And again, sorrow soon came of it. It is a mistake to use human means to accomplish God's will. God, I'm going to give you a little bit of help here. You know, how does that, how does that usually turn out? Yeah, turned out pretty bad in this case too. Don't try to help God out. If he made you a promise, stand on it in faith and do what he tells you, even if it makes no sense at the time. 
And let me tell you, sometimes it's not going to make any sense at all. Me up here preaching doesn't make any sense at all to me. But in obedience, you do it. We often forget that God's ways are not our ways and that he can accomplish what? Anything, right? God can accomplish anything. Let's look at the scripture surrounding Hagar in Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yet he will live in open, yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly see, seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Laharoi, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. Don't look for it. Those cities aren't there anymore. I spent a wonderful 15 minutes trying to find the location. I, I'm fond of going down rabbit trails. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 year, years old when Ishmael was born. How would you feel about that, Dick, having a son? Where'd Dick go? There he is. Now, Hagar was an Egyptian raised in a pagan environment. We have no record of her ever praying to God until after she met God at this spring. She was abandoned or orphaned by her father and mother, for she was sold into slavery at a young age. She had no reason to believe in God, absolutely no reason at all. But God so ordained that she should be bought or given to Abram. So she entered into the household of faith. And something to remember here is this was one of the only households in the world that worshipped the true God at that time. It was the chosen family. She undoubtedly became aware of the faith of Abram and Sarah and possibly joined with them in worship. But after she became pregnant with Abram's child and showed her pride to Sarah, I think that's important. Now, Hagar wasn't um, innocent in all this because she kind of threw this all up in Sarah's face. Sarah began to slap her, yell at her, demean her in every way in front of the other women. Now, this was the Sarah who had talked so loftily of God. Hagar could see how thin her religion really was. Maybe some of you have been hurt by a Christian or a church member. Those mistreatments can hurt deeply, and they can hurt more deeply than outright worldly people trying to hurt you because you're not expecting us Christians to behave in that manner. Now, that's how it was for Hagar. Hagar did like many people do. She decided to abandon the house of God and go back to the heathen Egypt. At least there people were not hypocrites. <laughs> Does any of this sound familiar to you? I have a son-in-law who has that problem. He doesn't want to get saved because church people are hypocrites. 
My daughter is an ex-minister, and she's also suffered at the hands of, of uh, hip hypocrisy, but she should know better. She was at my house last week, and I reminded her that churches are hospitals. They're not places where perfect people go to worship. Of course there's hypocrites in church. They're here learning about God's love so that they don't have to be hypocrites anymore. <laughs> so Hagar is sitting by the well in a desert, maybe a little oasis by the road, but there's no one around, nor any probability of any caravan passing that way. As she sits quiet and still, she hears a voice. <laughs> now that would scare me. And the voice says, Hagar, and she jumps and she looks up, and there, there's a brightness that's as bright as the sun shining above her. She can scarce bear it, and she hears it again, Hagar, Sarah's maid. Now, whoever is, it is that is speaking knows who she is, what she is, and all about her. Suddenly, she has come face to face with the God of Abram. Now, remember, she's Egyptian, and they worship many gods. Now, I'm sorry. Where's Paul? Paul here? Downstairs? Well, I got a dad joke for him, so... And that's how my mind works. I'm sorry, people. It's a squirrel moment. Um, an atheist was out fishing in Scotland. And suddenly this monster comes up out of the water with big teeth and starts to come at him. And the atheist takes one look at the monster and he says, God, please help me. And suddenly time stops. The sky opens and the voice says, I thought you didn't believe in me. And the atheist says, give me a break. Five minutes ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. All right. Sorry, I put that in there for Paul, and he's not even here, so sorry. You think Hagar might have felt the same way? Now think about this. Here's this Egyptian girl. She's pregnant. She's beaten by her mistress. She's decided to run away. She's in the middle of the desert. She's found a little oasis where she can get some water probably and, and rest. And all of a sudden, the sky opens and an angel appears and starts talking to her. What would you do? <laughs> you know, the, the, Bible, the Bible doesn't say anything like she passed out or she fainted or anything like that. But, you know, if it were me, I'd probably pass out. Now, she's facing someone obviously vastly different than a mere man, and, and he's so brightly lit that she can barely look at her, him, and he's calling her by name. Now, who's the angel of the Lord? In most cases in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is who? Jesus, right? Pre-incarnate Jesus. Christophany. Theophany, if you want to talk about that. The term angel in Hebrew and in Greek, also means messenger. Jesus is specifically called the messenger of the covenant in Malachi 3. He's, he's this messenger also. Hagar called him the God who sees me, and he didn't correct her, did he? She said, I have seen God. How special is that, that Jesus would come to this woman at the well, very much like he did to another woman at another well, he called her by name, Hagar. 
What do you think it would mean for God to call you out by name, out loud? I think that'd be something. He knew her history, servant of Sarah. He knew everything about her, what she'd done and said and where she'd run away from. He asked her questions. What are you leaving behind? Where are you headed? Now, God may be speaking to some of us this morning, asking us the same questions. You know, what are we leaving behind? Where are we headed? Do you really want to go back into that world? And Hagar answered honestly, which, which is surprising, really, when you think about it. She was honest with him. She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Jesus commanded her to her. Jesus' command to her was what? Go back and work through it. Boy, don't you hate it when God tells you to do that? Go back and work through that situation at your job. Go back and work through that problem in your marriage or with your relative. There is a place God intends for us to be in service for him, and we don't find it by running from the problem. Now, now I'll be honest with you, I've run away from a lot of problems in my life. It's never worked out well. The ones that I've faced up to and gone back and worked my way through have worked out great. Now, here, I'm going to read a paragraph from a quote, quote from uh, John Gaston. He's pastor of First Assembly Church in Texas. It says, there is a reward for obedience. God has a great future plan for Hagar if she will just obey him. When Hagar realized who was speaking to her and felt his divine presence, she couldn't help but exclaim, you are the God. You are the God. I am not alone. I am not friendless after all. There is a God and a God who sees me and who takes such notice of note that he speaks to me. It is one thing to believe there is a God, but it is quite another thing to know it by coming into personal contact with him. They give you books to prove that there is a God, which is all well and good. Be convinced by them. They tell you to study nature and see the works of God. Now, Marlene often speaks of that in Sunday school. She talks about the beauty of nature and how, how it reminds her of God. So study nature. You can't better employ yourselves, for God is everywhere. His breath perfumes the flowers. His pencil sketches them, but you will not really know God by those means if that's all you do. To go from nature up to nature's God is a long step for broken legs. I love that line. To go from nature up to nature's God is a long step for broken legs. We are so mangled by our fall that we can never take that step without divine help. But when we've been in his presence, felt his power, and tasted of his love, then we will know him as he wishes us to. Boy, how true is that? You have that face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, and you're not the same. So here we have Hagar. What did she do? She went back to Sarah, didn't she? Her mistress was hard, but sin was harder. So she went back, and she bared the reproach and the rebuke. Why? Because she has a promise now, right? She has a promise hidden inside her, in her heart, and she's going to be a, the glad mother of a father of nations who shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. She returns surrounded with God, bathed in the sense of the divine, and she resigns herself to her work. Now, that, there, there's a lady who made a tough decision, right? It's easy to run away from stuff. And, and without thinking about it, I think we do it all the time. Little things, big things. 
It's, it's hard to go back and work through it. Abraham didn't encourage her. Sarah didn't acknowledge her. Yet the Lord's eye was upon her, and God's favor was preparing great things for her. So her heart was light within her because of the divine favor, and in that spirit she was subdued unto the will of God. There you go. A contrite heart, a worshipful heart, subdued to the will of God. Now, the Springer Well probably had another name, but she renamed it Well of the Living One Who Sees Me. To me, that talks of personal experience, right? She wanted to always remember it. I'm sure she told her story so widely that the new name stuck and became famous as the place where God revealed himself to Hagar. Every traveler who stopped there and drunk from that well had, you know, had to think of that experience of her meeting God face to face. That's the same well we need to drink from. So let's take a little closer look in Scripture about this God who sees me. Psalm 33, 18 and 19 says, But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. Psalm 34, verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. Psalm 53, 2 says, God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. Now remember, the, the Psalms are basically the hymns of Israel, of the nation of Israel. They reflect the feelings and experience of these people. They understood that God watches over his people. Now, they didn't always listen to him. <laughs> they didn't always do what he said. But they understood the concept of God who sees me. All right, here's the last Old Testament verse. And this one's probably familiar to a lot of us. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It's from New King James. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those who heart, whose heart is loyal to him. Now, when I was younger, that was a scary verse. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth. You know, that's like somebody's spying on me. Well, that's not really what it means. It means that God is always looking for those with a contrite heart, for those who believe in him. It was said by the prophet Hanani to King Asa when Asa relied on another king's help rather than listen to God. So it has kind of a negative connotation in, in that respect. But I find it comforting in that it tells me that God is always looking for the righteous. Always, day, night, 24-7, 365, as we used to say in the hospital game. Um, this scripture is echoed again in the New Testament by our friend Peter in 1 Peter 3, verse 12. He says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, all of that's great, but it still doesn't answer the question we started out with that always nags in the back of my head. Lord, I need you. Where are you? Let's go back to John 11, verse 32. It says, When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, falling at, at his feet was a sign of what? Worship, right? She, she worshiped him as God, but, but she, was, she was questioning him. Where were you, right? She said, my brother died. He was your friend. Where were you? And if you go back further in the Scripture and, and read about it, you'll see that, you know, they told him he was, Lazarus was sick. They told this, that, and the other thing, and he waited. You know, he waited on purpose. Can, can you feel the agony in her voice? Can you hear the recrimination? She's saying, where were you when I needed you? God, where were you when I needed you? In the middle of her sadness and disappointment, frustration and confusion over the death of Lazarus, Jesus shows up. And Mary's reaction is, where were you? In other words, why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you change this, prevent this, fix this, heal this? Where were you when I needed you? Now, I've said all those things, and I've wondered where he went and why his timeline differs so greatly from my own, because it sure does, doesn't it? God's timeline differ from yours? So many of you are praying for things, salvation, healing, uh, you know, praying for your new baby coming, praying for your child that's here, praying for your child that's decided to go off on a little tangent. Um, I've walked laps around hospital hallways. I've said heartbreaking goodbyes, haven't all of you? Perhaps you were the one being wheeled into the operating room after wrestling through a dark night of terror. Rose, you know all about that. And the question is, where are you, God? <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I want to tell you something this morning, and it may bother some of you, but I'm going to say it because I've struggled against this message for weeks. God wanted this preached. I didn't want to preach it. And I know God wants us to hear it. The thing is, we're asking the question wrong. Or, if you will, if you're an English teacher, we're asking the wrong question. Where are you, God? Well, are you looking for where he is? Or are you struggling in the middle of your pain? I'll give you a personal example. A lot of you know my wife, Marion. A lot of you don't know her. She's a vivacious little firebrand. Those are my words, not hers. Uh, that I love with all my heart who always wanted to do as much for God around the church as she could. I'm watching her die slowly from a disease called COPD. It's not one of the top 10 diseases, but it's my number one. Basically, it's as if your lungs gradually turn to stone. She's a shadow of her former self, and I have cried out, where are you, God? Many times in these last six years, I've wondered why he's not doing anything. You know, he's not holding up his end of the bargain. I'm praying he's not healing. What's, what's up with that? Now, I should tell you what God showed me the past few years. First, it's his choice as to whether he heals her here or by taking her home. 
not mine. It's not my choice. In the meantime, I can see him in a hundred places around me and in my home and in my church. I see him in the joy and laughter my wife has working hard with her PT Tiffany and her OT Alyssa to achieve little victories. Now I've got to tell you, little victories are being able to walk down the stairs and sit down and catch your breath and walk back up the stairs again. That's a victory for her. And these two young ladies, <laughs> how, many, how many of you have had a, a, a teenage girl sleepover in your house or been involved in one? You know what they sound like, right? It's like a giggle fest. Well, the three of them go down the stairs, and that's all I hear downstairs. I don't know what they talk about. I don't know if they talk about me. I don't know if they talk about other things. But the three of them are laughing constantly. Now, I have a problem making my wife laugh. She'll do it, but I have to work at it. Those three, when they're together, they're just... And the one girl is hilarious, and she comes with, with a bow on her head and two pom-poms, and she's, and she's cheering as Marion's doing stuff. Those are the healthcare people that you really need, you know, in your life. But, but think about that, okay? That's God. My, my wife, who, who has problems with joy and laughter, is, is laughing. And she's still laughing because she'll come upstairs and she and I will sit and talk and she'll tell me all about it and she'll still be laughing. They're teaching her how to kind of mess around in the kitchen again, which, which is really interesting to see because I, I get all these questions like, well, why did you move this? Well, you know, I've been doing all the cooking for six years. I'm going to put things where I want to. But why did you move this? The question, the question last week was, how come there's four pots on the stove? Why do you need four pots to cook supper? <laughs> Sorry. I see God in the love and dedication of the people here at church who visit, they send cards, they bring us food during those hospital times. Thank you for the five pounds that your wife gave me, Kurt. Jesse cooks for an army. She's just like Marion used to be. Um, they bring food during those hospital times, and not only for us, but for many others here in the church. I see him in the heart of our pastor who ministers to her and encourages her and encourages all of us. You see, I've been asking the right question, but in the wrong way. Where are you, God? What if we said those same four words, not as an accusation, but as a hopeful question, asking him to reveal to us where he was in the middle of the mess? just like he did with Hagar and with Lazarus's sister, Mary. You know, they were in the middle of a mess. You lose a brother, lose a sister, lose a relative, that's tough. If you look at verse 43 in that same scripture, and I don't think I gave you this one, Brad, that's fine. It says, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. <laughs> Dead guy comes out of the grave, and all Jesus says is, unwrap him and let him go. I'd love to have been there. 
God was right there in the midst of them doing what he always does, the God of miracles. So the main thing I want you to hear today is this. And by golly, we're going to finish early again. The main thing I want you to hear today is this. No problem is too big for our God. My, my, my daughter often, often says, my God is bigger than that. Sorry about yours. You will never hear God say, I can't see any solution to this big mess. Why don't you just give up? I have never heard him say that once. I've felt that way, but I've never heard God say that. God knows exactly what we need to do to turn our problem around. I've known people whose lives were completely transformed after they had one of those face-to-face -face meetings with God or even just consulted with him. I like that word. I'm a consultant, so I can use it. And followed his advice. On the other hand, I've met people who started out doing what God said, but then when things got better, guess what? Yeah, you start to do it, you do it on your own again. And they decided that they didn't need God anymore. And like Hagar, they ended up right back where they started. When you face difficulties in your life, are you aware that somewhere above you is the watchful eye of Elroy, the God who sees? You need to allow him to be your consultant. You need to obey him. And no matter how ugly or complicated or hopeless your mess seems, remember that God sees who? You. God sees you. He knows you intimately. He will show you what to do step by step if only you will listen and obey him. And understand he sees you through Jesus who removed all your sin. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin. He sees his child. Now who's not going to help their child out, right? Have to listen and obey. Obedience. Remember all the lines in the Old Testament, I value obedience more than sacrifice. Well, th this is it. Thanks for being here today, especially you new folk. Um, if you're here today and you haven't committed to Jesus, see one of us after church, and we'll be glad to help you with that decision because it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Now, 25 to 12, I hope pastor isn't watching because I'm going to let all you go. And don't tell him, right? Because when you tell him, he decides that he has an extra half an hour to deal with. So next week, we'll all pay for it. No, that's not true. Have a great week, y'all. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for being the God who sees us, Lord. We, we, just, we need you so much. We need you every day, every minute, everything we do, Lord. Help us to come to you, to bring it to you. Help us to do what you tell us to do, Lord. And Father, be with us as we go out into the world and let us spread that, that joy that, that we have, that only we have, that we can give to, that, that's just contagious, Lord, that we can give it to other people. So Lord, bless us. Bless this church, bless this congregation, Lord, and bless our work. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week. Pastor will be back next Sunday.